Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is a small group of people who have more concentrated power over the human future than ever before in human history. And they have no vision, no strategy, and no plan other than their own escape, which will not work. I'm Sarah Wilson, and this is Wild, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. Today's guest has been named one of the world's 10 most influential intellectuals by MIT. Douglas Rushkoff is an author, a cyber geek, and a documentarian who studies all the humans struggling to live in an increasingly unhuman world, which is to say, most of us in 2023. Now, he's one of those intellectuals who coins concepts, and his include viral media and digital native. His ideas get quoted in movies, and he moves in concentric circles with many of the guests who have and are about to appear on this podcast, which is so nice and somehow neat. Douglas is also very excitable. He's fun and he's super, super fast. He manages to lasso it all, all of the things, into a fun, explosive narrative. You'll see what I mean in a second. But today we're going to chat the subject matter of his latest and 20th book, Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires, which is about the tech bros from Silicon Valley building all those luxury bunkers and booking their seats on rockets to Mars in anticipation of the apocalypse. Now, you might recall we covered preppers, these billionaire preppers, with Irish author Mark O'Connell about six months ago, and you can go back and listen to that episode. I'll put the link in the show notes. I, and possibly like you, became obsessed by the whole thing, the bunkers, the infinity pools in the said bunkers, and the totally delusional thinking at the heart of it all. It's fascinating. I mean, Who's going to clean their infinity pools when they've shut the rest of us out? And who's going to buy their wares and keep them billionaires? It's kind of insane. Anyway, the chat with Mark left me with a lot of buts and whys and hows and when hours, which is why I went looking for Douglas Rushkoff, a guy who knows the industry inside out and who proffers the notion of the mindset as an explainer for it all, which we will pull apart in a moment. He also provides a solution, and that is returning to the very thing these tech bros are trying to flee, and that is humanity. 
In this chat, we cover a whole host of things, bringing back the Sabbath, degrowth economics, and where fear of the feminine fits into it all via a Timothy Leary anecdote. Now, Douglas is currently a professor at the City University of New York. He's a research fellow at the Institute for the Future, a founding member of the cyberpunk movement back in the day, a Marxist. And yet these mega billionaire dudes, and he says they're almost always men, regularly invite him to come speak to them, give them advice on the future of technology. But on one such occasion, he was invited to speak at an uber-exclusive retreat in the desert. He arrived by provided-for limousine and expected to walk into a room of the usual tech dudes and funds managers and to give his usual presentation. But it played out very differently. Douglas Rushkoff, thank you so much for joining us here on Wild. I've got to say, I've been bracing myself for this conversation. I know it's going to be a big chat because I listened to your podcast, Team Human, and I'll put the the link in the show notes for everybody. They should listen to this podcast because it's epic. Um, And generally, after I've listened to an episode, I have to have a bit of a lie down. It is exhausting. It's big. It's also very nourishing. Um, So what I might get you to do, if it's okay, is actually talk us through what happened when you walked into that uh, sort of retreat out in the desert that you describe in the opening chapter of your book, Survival of the Richest? And I think you were expecting to walk into a conference room of tech dudes asking the usual kinds of questions, but you were greeted by five white rich guys who were after something very specific from you. Um, what were they after? What were they wanting you to answer? Well, deep down, I don't even really know. But on the surface, what they wanted to know was whether their uh, uh, survival strategies for the event, which is the electromagnetic pulse or nuclear war, climate disaster, you know, pandemic. AI takeover. uh, Yeah, exactly. Whatever this end of the world apocalyptic event, whether their preparations for the event were sound. So they were, you know, showing me, you know, uh, uh, sketches of their their bunker facilities, and you know, telling me about the different places in the world that they've decided to go, and you know, what kinds of soldiers they've hired to protect them, and whether they're going to use electric fences or laser beams or you know, whatever they 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 wanted to know if they if I thought that their you know water purification systems would work and things like that. And I'm just so you know, I'm not an apocalypse bunker expert. That's not my field. I read no. about, you know, media, technology, culture, society. So I ended up using it really more as an opportunity to tweak these guys. So they would say, oh, you know, we, I would, I would say, well, you've got this beautiful uh, facility. What about the rest of us? They're, well, you're, you're all going to die. So, mm. Well, what if we're mob you? What if we run to your facility and try to take it over? Oh, it doesn't, we've got Navy SEALs. I've got Navy SEALs. One of them said they have Navy SEALs with helicopters who are, they keep the helicopters gassed up and like in standby mode at all times. So they're ready to take off, you know, the moment that whatever, you know, the Chinese uh, weather balloon crashes in the wrong place (laughs) and the the mouse traps all go off at once and the the war starts. They can be there in 35 minutes. I'm like, okay, so you've got Navy SEALs protecting your facility. Why are your Navy SEALs going to take care of you? After your money is worthless, you know, even your Bitcoin, nothing's not going to be anything. Mm. You know, and their big walls have shut out their friends and family. Like yeah. the Navy SEALs don't have their friends and family there. And they're like, well, why would we want to work for you? 
Well, maybe they have their nuclear family there, but then the wife wants the mother-in-law and the this and the that. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. mean, in the end, and then they started saying, oh, well, you know, we could have like little uh, uh, implants and things that can give them shocks if they start doing the wrong stuff, or I'll be the only one who knows the combination to the to the safe where we keep the food supply. And I'm like, oh, Navy SEALs have never had to deal with getting information out of someone before. They were <laughs> And I was trying to, I mean, it was such an odd situation. I mean, I was in kind of a state of shock, even as a, a smart, adult, snarky person. I was in a state of shock, so I didn't have all my full facilities with me. But by the end of the hour, I was able to sort of say, well, dudes, you know, if you don't want your head of security to kill you in the bunker, why don't you pay for his daughter's bat mitzvah today? You know, and I mentioned as this kind of triple triple-edged Jewish joke, you know, because most of their head of securities probably don't have daughters getting bat mitzvahs right there. They're usually a different, uh, I don't mean type of person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a different, a different profile. But uh, uh, the, the interesting was that conversation when that one got started, which is at the very end was whether I was actually making some progress where, cause one of the billionaires said, well, yeah, we could pay for that, but then where does that stop? In other yeah. words, if you're nice to people, where where do you draw the line of nice? Where where or do you just have to be nice to everybody? It's like, what are you saying? <laughs> that was this sort is of called I, the whole human endeavor, right? I mean, yeah. And then, yeah, they're going completely the other way because if you put microchips in these, you know, Navy SEALs so that they don't kill the children of the rich people, I mean, how far does that go? I mean, you could take that on and on and on. And I guess it begs that's, the question. And that's what they've done, right? That's mm-hmm. what this book finally is about, saying, look what these people have done with technology and money. They've taken a paranoid understanding of the world, which we can look at its origins back in science and in corporate colonialism and in capitalism and in all that. This basically fear-based understanding of the world where I'm going to build fences and fences of gold you know, around myself to elevate myself among, uh, above those common masses. And where does it, uh, where does it go? You know, where does it go? It goes to the point where they start to believe that they can actually build a car that goes fast enough to escape from its own exhaust. And then, yeah. you know, with enough money and enough technology, I can insulate myself from the problems I'm creating by earning money in this way and deploying technology in this way. And it begs the question, doesn't it, for all of us, and I suspect it begged the question for you when you were looking into all of this, like, just stop. Like, wrong way, go back. Like, why would you want to do all of this? And, look, we could go into the details of all the weird-ass stuff that these billionaires are doing to preserve themselves essentially from the rest of us Mm -hmm. um, and and the mess that they've created. but the really fascinating thing that you bring to this discussion is you come up with a reason as to why this is happening and you call it the mindset. And I'm just mm. wondering if you can talk us through what that mindset is because I think that's what everybody here listening to this conversation is wondering, like, what has created this insanity and what perpetuates it in the face of all the illogical stuff, you know? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. So. Talk us through that mindset. Yeah. I mean, there's a few ways to look at it. I mean, in, in some ways, you know, for this conversation, the easiest way to say it is what we were just saying, that these tech billionaires believe that with enough money and technology that they can escape the catastrophes resulting from their own approaches to money and technology, that you just keep going, just level up and, and, and go faster. You know, and the thing is, they used to just outrun it. 
That was sort of the industrial age way. Outrun it. Go to a new place. Take over a new territory. Scorched earth there. And when the, the, the people rebel, move to the next one. Now, because they kind of got to the edge of California and they found another cliff, it's like, uh-oh, we're at the end of the world. What do they do? They kind of, they go meta to escape. You know, you go Literally. one level above. Yeah. And in this mm. case, right, with Zuckerberg, it's like, I don't like Facebook anymore. It's not working out. Sheryl Sandberg left me. The governments are all angry at me. My user base is peaked. Screw that. I don't care. I'm going to do meta. And it's like, and not fix any of the problems that Facebook created, the fascism and the craziness and the conspiracies. Just leave. I'm going meta. I'm going to get a little character with no legs and run around in my, in my own little space. But the, the other way to understand the mindset this kind of Silicon Valley belief that humanity is a problem to be solved with technology. You know, and yeah. that dates far back, right? It's, 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 it's got a kind of atheistic scientism to it that nothing going on here. People are just vessels. Women are just objects. It's just don't worry. Just use what you want. And nothing's real. There's techno solutionism techno-solutionism in it. There's this adherence to the, to the biases of code, digital code, this understanding of every human relationship as some kind of a, of a, of a market phenomenon, and this, this, this deep fear of women and nature and Black people and Indigenous people. You know, when, when I looked for the origins of the mindset, I kind of found it in two places. You know, one was capitalism but the other was science and technology itself. And I went back to Francis Bacon, you know, the, the mm -hmm. founder of empirical science back in the, in the Renaissance. And he said that empirical science will let us take nature by the forelock, hold her down, and submit her to our will. <laughs> what? The forelock's the hair. So science will let us take nature, which is like this woman, take her by the hair, hold her down, and have our way with her. So it's a rape fantasy is what that is. Science is like, and I, I get where it comes from because they're like, nature's scary and dark mm -hmm. and there's and uncertain. And uncertain, right. Mm. Worms and dirt and witches and cats and women. And do they like me or not? And I don't know. And do I have to be nice to them? Are they going to get me? Do they know what I'm really thinking? And they're in my dreams on the moon and it's dark, right? So science will let us shine a light. And basically... Uh, uh, understand things by deanimating them. We yeah. kill it and dissect it, right? And that's the world that they want, killed and dissected, or in this case, digitized. Just scan it, scan it and upload it, right? <laughs> and then yeah. we don't have to deal with it. And even you're finally to themselves, right? I'm going to take my own consciousness, which I don't understand, find out everything about it, upload it to a computer and live there instead. Yeah, so, so it's not even allowing for any of the wonderful things that have defined our humanness, like the mystery of our consciousness and awe and, in fact, all of that uncertainty. We've, we've, we've eradicated that from our experience. I'm wondering, um, you know, Douglas, you, you mentioned that it's very much a technology thing. It's very much something coming out of Silicon Valley um, and it's, it's, it's a tech bro thing. Is it really predominantly men that are driving this phenomenon? Are they at the heart of the mindset? Yeah. I mean, I hate to get into kind of tech bro, you know, white male toxicity stereotypes, because in some, in some ways where we, we we're overstating, we, if we overstate it, it's not that we're overstating it. It's that we can uh, 
feel helpless to do anything about it when it's like, oh, yeah. here we if are. If we over-label of- something. Yeah. yeah. We're so at it's that like a thousand right years. But, yeah, these are mainly these little white tech bros. I remember when um, Timothy Leary, and for audience people who may not know him, he was a great kind of a, a psychedelics hero champion, a very controversial figure, but in the 60s and 70s, mm. um, and someone I knew pretty well. And the cyberpunk reading- kind of era. Yeah. Yeah, which is when I knew him. It's just this, his second, his second coming. You know, when he saw in digital technology the same things that that they saw in psychedelics beforehand. This way of opening the world and connecting people and changing consciousness. And boy, there were some early heady days of the internet when we couldn't imagine an Amazon or an Uber. It seemed so against what the the ethos of the net was. But he was sitting and reading this book called Media Lab by Stuart Brand. And it was about the original MIT lab where all these internet-y things were happening, East Coast uh, 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 Media Laboratory. And he's reading the book and he's circling everything and felt tip pen. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he loves this book. And he's going to be so psyched to talk to me about all these technologies. When he finishes the book, he closes and he throws it across the room and he goes, blah, Like, like, like it was possessed. I go, what, Tim, what, what? And he goes, First, less than 3% of the names in the index are women. Mm. That's how you know they got a problem. Because second, these are a bunch of boys trying to recreate the womb with technology. Their mothers couldn't anticipate their every need, you know, and they felt neglected. And now now they're afraid of women, right, because they don't know what women really want. And so they want to kind of recreate the womb and the ideal woman with technology that can anticipate their every need before they even know they want it and bring it to them. And they can live in a safe, hermetically sealed little boy's bubble. And when you see that, you realize, oh, that's why they want the virtual reality. That's why they want to sit behind a game console. That's why they want to talk on the net and swipe left on anything that they don't want to ever see again. You know, it's that, it's that, again, it's that same a drive for safety and to get away from the unpredictable nature of reality and instead give themselves what feels like, and these are the words they use, choice, autonomy, agency, and sovereignty over, mm. you know, the realm in which they, in which they exist. And that is largely a white male tech bro kind of thing, because that's the tradition of, British East India Trading Company and, you know, this sort of white male European uh, uh, domination fantasy. Yeah, also U.S. individualism. It's it's kind of ingrained Ugh. into the Constitution. It's no co- coincidence that it's all emanating from, from the U.S., you know, this phenomenon. Yeah. I think that's got a lot to do with it. And I think it's a really interesting point. We can make generalisations and give names to it and the toxic white male, blah, blah, blah. But I think what we need to do more importantly, is to go, okay, and, and let's pay attention and let's work out what's at the heart of the pain and the fear that's driving all of this because in the end it's going to destroy all of us if, right. if we don't, you know. One thing I picked up, and correct me if I'm wrong, I picked this up from your book, is that I get a sense, Douglas, that some of these tech billionaires, these scared dudes, they're almost eagerly awaiting the end times. They're excited by it. Like they're excited at least by the plans, you know, like building bunkers in New Zealand and and adding layers and layers of defence, you know, to to their little micro world. Um, and a really big part of it that that hit me is that they really do want to escape us, the rest of us. And I find that 
sort of hurtful, really offensive and alienating. I don't know. I don't really know what the feeling is, but I'm wondering if if you felt the same way talking to these people. Yeah. I mean, the, the, on the one hand, when you look at it, it sounds like, and they talk about it like they're gods. You know, there's that famous Stuart Brand quote, you know, we are as gods and may as well get good at it. And they love that feeling. So you have, you know, Peter Thiel writing a book from zero to one. And his whole idea is that if you want to be successful, you need to be one order of magnitude above everybody else. Everybody else is down there at zero. You go 10x and you become a one. You know, you don't have a business. You have an aggregator of businesses. You're not mere mortal. You're one of us up here. Like, and that's why guys like Jeffrey Epstein loves this sort of scientist. And Jeffrey Epstein, if you don't know him down there, was this horrible pederast. Yeah. yeah, this nightmare pederast guy. Flies him into his gated communities and has these big powwows. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and young, lots of underage women to serve everybody. And sex fest. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and sex fest <laughs> and all. And the sex fest sounds fine as long as you're not, you know, doing it with enslaved young women. It, it's fine. You know, go for mm. it. But, mm. um, yeah, not like this. Um, but it was part of that 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 God uh, fantasy on the one hand, but but I I agree that it comes more from a feeling of fear and inferiority more than genuine you know superiority. And the other thing that I thought of when you were talking was um I mean remember like robber barons of the past the way they were depicted like um. Remember Gomez Adams? Did you have the Adams mm-hmm. family? Absolutely. Gomez Adams, he's this super rich, like stock, stock market guy on the Adams family. And he's got this train set. That's his main life fun is this giant simulated village or town and trains. And he'd run the trains. For these guys, they're kind of billionaire escape complexes and seasteading communities and private nations. In a way, they're like these, these games. It's like, when I was little, I used to imagine I wanted to build a miniature golf course myself and have all these castles and things. But yeah. then if you're the tech bro and thinking of it not as just a game, but you want to go live inside it. You do. You don't want to just build the model. You don't want to just build the simulation. You don't want to just build the train village. You want to then shrink down and go be in there. So, you know, mm. Sam Altman, this other billionaire, he wants to upload his brain into the simulation because the simulation's going to be better than this. The women in the simulation are just going to do what you say, right? The animals are not going to bite you. The worms won't be slimy. The dirt won't have stuff in it. It's going to be all clean and safe. So when I hear these guys talking about apocalypse or genuine threat, I start to think, oh, wait a minute. They want some justification for having spent so much time and energy on kitting out a missile silo with $10 million worth of interior design, of putting up a, a, a heated pool in an underground you know, complex. How can you justify spending that money unless there's some reason to be doing it? Right. So it's a self-justifying kind of setup, isn't it? They've got to justify it everything they've done so far, um, they've got to cash in on that investment that's been going on for so long because their entire existence um, psychologically and financially and so on rests on this storyline, this narrative playing out. It's really interesting. I, I, I pick up on it and I've heard you speak in interviews and you describe these 
people as as pathetic. And you don't say that in a derogatory sense. It's like a real sense of sadness. And I don't know, have you seen the movie Douglas Triangle of Sadness, the Palme d'Or winning movie? No, I shall. Yeah, well... Without giving too much away, the premise of it is a whole heap of uber-rich people on a yacht that kind of, and things go awry, and these uber-rich people are eating this you know, opulent food, having a grand buff, and everything goes wrong. They end up, a few of them end up washed up on an island, right, deserted island, and they've got zero skills. They are absolutely pathetic. They're losers. They they cannot survive and they've got to rely on the Filipino toilet attendant who ends up putting a hand up and going, I am now captain. I am now your lord. You will now do what I want. And uh, the rich, very good-looking influencer who got the paid-for trip, uh, he becomes her sex slave. I haven't given too much away. You still need to see the movie. But the point is it's part of a bit of a – it's part of a trope, um, I think, that's around at the moment. And eat the rich – kind of trope where there's a lot of question marks over the uber rich at the moment. We're asking these kinds of questions. We're really wondering what's going on here, in part because I think we recognise some of this behaviour in ourselves. It trickles down, you know. We're all in that more, more, more mentality, that uh, sense that we're on this treadmill and we've got to keep it going, right? We've got to take it to the final destination. But it's not going to work. It's not no. going to work is the thing, right? There is a small group of people who have more concentrated power over the human future than ever before in human history. And they have no vision, no strategy, and no plan other than their own escape, which will not work, right? So we have to sit and go, okay, they will not save us. Their technologies will not save us. We are on our own. There's no crypto, no plan B, no TED talk, no invention, no prize, no, no, you know, uh, X prize moonshot solution, right? Those are all brittle systems invented by single people who want to create a giant scaled master plan, right? And, and once you realize that though, it's like, okay, now what, right? We're not up against the limits of our physical environment here, the way they're pretending we are. That's their excuse to go to the moon, right? We're only up against the, the, the limits of our digital balance sheets, of a, 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 an economic operating system that's based on extraction and domination. So we go, okay, it worked. And even if you, you know, want to be racist and horrible, okay, it worked for a while if you don't mind dominating people and destroying their habitats and you know, being violent and enslaving them and killing them. If you don't mind all that, it works for a while. But eventually it stops working. Even for the winners of that game, it stops working, right? They start colonizing themselves, which is what we're doing, you know, in the West anyway. The Mm. U.S. colonizes its own people, right? So then it's like, oh, I get it. You know, suddenly Americans become less racist when they realize, oh, this is what it's like to be a person of color, right? You're just in a system that's here to suck all your blood out of you and and leave you and, and dehumanize you. So people go, oh. This kind of sucks. Let's let's take care of it. It's a little late, buddy, but never too late. Never too late. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, I think that brings us to what you present in your book, in the second half of the book, is something of an antidote. It's like really is a wrong way go back sign, you know, um, that your book presents because we have been just careering down this particular freeway. And as you say, um, nature really is giving us a second chance, right? Nature's actually not putting up with this behaviour. And I think we do get a sense it's either nature is either going to kick us out or we're going to have to um, submit to the ways of this planet that we belong on, that we exist on, that we were born on. And so your antidote to this sort of anti-humanism is, in fact, humanism. Essentially, it's a returning to the basic human values of your, but can you please talk us through it better than that? Give us some detail. Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny because the book I wrote before this was called Team Human. And then I ended up writing this one because... You know, Team Human was too much of a leap. It was almost too simple for people. It's like, what? Oh, just be nice to each other? You know, but we can't. You know, the world is ending. We've got to compete for what's here. And I was like, okay, um, let's see how well that works. Um, so I wanted to, uh, and also the pandemic happened. So it seemed like a good time to take apart these uh, more catastrophic uh, uh, visions and show them, show them for what they were. But what I'm trying to argue is that um, those of us here on the ground, and in the real world can actually have a much easier time uh, uh, correcting these things if we're not trying to ape the the uh, you know these these so-called masters of the universe these these zillionaires you don't want to be like them they're having a horrible time they're having a terrible existence however rich they look it's not fun I've met a lot of these people they are I mean. Not you know, drugs are fine, but they're on a lot of drugs and not, drugs they don't would rather not be taking. They're they're compensating in so many different ways. Their relationships are awful. The way they talk about the sex they have, oh my god, poor, poor, <laughs> poor things. I mean, remember like, well, for me, I remember early college sex. I mean, it's like that's what they have as grownups, right? They're just like so and so confused yeah. it's like they're, they're in and a do they tell situation. you this does this come up in the conversations yeah. like alaska yeah. or new zealand oh and also you know i'm having really unsatisfactory unnourishing unconnect disconnected sex because i do not understand the feminine you know is, is this yeah. something that comes yeah, up yeah but they don't say it with that much insight no saying why are all these women mean to me i mean it's more like okay. that you know they don't like me because i have all this money Right. They're they're jealous of me. And they, why can't I have four 14 year olds along with a wife? What's what is her real problem with that? They, they all have mm. different functions. 
in the, <laughs> like, well, I don't think so. They won't behave according to the plan. So <laughs> explain what this humanism yeah. kind of concept looks like. Like it sounds very idealistic but also simple at the same time. It's so simple. It's too frightening. It's almost shocking to people. And, and it's been very, it's very unsatisfying to some of the reviewers who read, who's like, wait a minute, Rushkoff's solution is what? Um, so, I mean, I've got, and I've written books about policy changes and tax code changes and currency changes and business changes and all these other ways we could structure things with nonprofits and platform cooperatives and local currencies and changing the, 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 uh, uh, uh what we call the, you know, kind of the dividends tax rate against the capital gains tax rate to encourage, you know, uh, uh, to encourage uh, circulation of money rather than the... Yeah, you've done your homework. Yeah, there's all that. But for most of us, it's really as simple as, you know, my daughter's graduating high school and we got this picture. They take pictures here. You get a picture in this special little suit that they wear and you get this framed picture of your kid. And it's like, okay, we want to put it on the wall. I don't have a drill. What's the first thing most Americans will do if you don't have a drill is you go to the Home Depot. Do you have Home Depots down there? Yeah, similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and get a minimum viable product drill, right? Then $39.95 and get the cheapest drill I can, drill a hole in the wall, stick it in the garage, and either never use it again or if I go to use it again, it's going to be broken, right? Because it was a minimum viable product drill and it didn't store well and the, the rechargeable battery, blah, 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 broke. The smarter thing would be to go to my neighbor, Bob, who's got all these tools and say, Bob, can I borrow a drill? For my one right? hole. To make a hole. And he might say, <laughs> well, where, what kind of hole is it? I go, I don't know. It's into the wall. Because I said plaster or drywall. Is there a beam or not? I don't know. Bob will come over. Oh, God, Doug. I'll come over. I'll bring the drill. Oh, you're going to need an anchor and a two, six, five, three peg thing. And, and it's up, right? Bob drilled the hole. He, he might have just given me the drill and I could drill. Then I give the drill back to Bob and we're done, right? So kids didn't have to go into the rare earth metal mines to get the molybdenum for the rechargeable battery, <laughs> right? We didn't have to manufacture it. We didn't have to ship the thing. didn't have to go to Home Depot and come back and use that gas. Didn't have to sit with this thing in the garage until I don't use it again and then throw it into a landfill where some Brazilian people are going to pick over it for renewable parts and their kids are going to get toxic, whatever. Now, I talk about an example like that at a tech thing and a guy will get up and usually does and says, well, wait a minute. If everybody's borrowing drills and lawnmowers. What and happens to the economy? <laughs> what happens to the economy? What happens? It's like, all right. So you're saying that the we are here to serve the economy rather than the economy being here to serve us. That those rules are so embedded that we can't even imagine changing them. You dudes, right? This is the thing. You Silicon Valley dudes who are so willing to come and disrupt the taxi industry, disrupt the hotel industry, all your big disruptors, but you can't even imagine disrupting corporate capitalism. That is untouchable. I'm going to go to daddy at Goldman Sachs and have an IPO and make money the traditional way. You guys who are even inventing Bitcoin and Ethereum, you still want a token through which you can make a zillion, trillion, billion, zillion dollars, not engender a new economy of peer-to-peer -peer authentication that takes the bankers out of the out of the way. Instead, you just become the next generation of bankers and reify what we've done, only worse because it's being amplified by digital technology. And yes, keep going that way and you will get the end of the world that you're wishing for.
Yeah. I mean, really what you're talking about is a, a sort of degrowth ideas, this idea that we can still have an economy, but it's not about exponential growth. It's about the circulation, right? Circulation of money rather than the extraction of money. So instead of a company working like a vacuum cleaner, the company works like a fan, right? You don't want to earn $10 once and stick it in a safe. You want to earn $1 10 times. You know, it's the same $10 of revenue. Again, revenue is the dirty word. They don't want revenue. They want uh, capital gains because it's Profits, tax low. Yep. Right, profit. Mm-hmm. They don't want revenue. They don't want earnings. But that's alive. They don't want living, circulating life. They want to store things as if it's dead. And this is, goes back to the Bible when God's like, I'm going to give you mana every day. Don't store it. Just eat what comes down and trust that more is going to come the next day. And people who stored their mana, like turned into worms and stuff, they didn't yeah. get their share. That It's like, dude, life can, that's what life is. Life continues. You want flow. If you're going to lock things down, boy, you're going to not flow have a good time. Flow is a great word and I use it a lot. I've called two cookbooks flow mm. um, as a way to show the inanity of um, trying to block the flow. You know, uh, it, it really is, as you say, super, super simple. Um, you prescribe a number of other ideas. Can you just give us some other ideas for listeners who are wondering what this kind of way of being more human, the antidote to the mindset could be or what it might look like? Gosh, I mean, there's so many. I mean, in the way you do business, it's looking at, you know, you want, when the way you do business should be that you make your customers and your suppliers wealthy rather than poor, right? The way that most people look at business is how can I get the most out of these people? by pushing them down. But if you get the most out of them that you can, you make them so poor that they can't afford to buy more stuff from you in the future. Right? If you make all your suppliers poor, then they're not going to be able to do business with you either. You're taking all the chips off the table, you know, so that doesn't work. Um, I'm, I'm encouraging on an individual level. I'm not telling people to stop using technology, but to give themselves a break. You know, one thing I used to advocate for was Sabbath. You know, take a kind of yeah. a digital Hallelujah. Sabbath or a, just take one day a week. Again, right from the Bible, the Jews gave it to themselves or the Israelites when they got out of out of Egypt, when they got out of slavery. It's like, let's give ourselves one day off a week. How about that? Right. And it's not just because they didn't want to work. It's because you've got to have a weekly reminder once every moon cycle, a reminder that you are sacred just the way you are. You know, that Hmm. just the fact that you arrived is cause for celebration. So when you take one day where you don't buy or sell anything, you're taking a day where you're no longer justifying your existence, that you're just celebrating your existence and everybody else's. And, And we deserve that. I think if you don't get that on a weekly basis, you can start to believe that these systems, these these human-made systems of 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 control and and domination, you start to believe that they're real. You know, yeah, we right now we need a job. You need to make money. You got to do all that. Do all that. Sure, and get your phone and get your text messages and swipe left and right. Do all those things. But one day a week, stop and go. Oh, right, I'm just here on this beautiful planet with antelopes and things. You know, it's mm. all good and people and babies and and walk around. I mean, look for opportunities. This sounds so so sweet. Look for opportunities to do favors for people. It's like it's so weird. Um, uh, but there's so many, it, it, I find it easier to ask people for favors than to do favors for people. 
Um, or, mm. or it, it's, it's the Benjamin Franklin effect. I think Franklin um, had an enemy and he found what he, he couldn't get any agreement in policy development. So what he did was actually sent a note over to this guy and said, hey, you're a avid book collector and there's this rare book. I'm just wondering if you've got it. Can you do me a favour? Could I read it? And this guy, of course, went, sure, I'm so flattered you're interested in my book, sent it over to Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin's point was this guy then became his friend because you can't have that cognitive dissonance. If you do a favour for someone, it then creates this wonderful opening of generosity and kindness and curiosity and all of the other stuff that uh, plays on our brains and creates a happier more fulfilled life. Yep. And um, it's interesting it's the interesting position one. it puts you in, you know, so that when when new people move into your neighborhood, you know how we bring them like a brownies or, or chicken or something, you do Catherine. that not because they need it, but because it, it embeds them in the fabric of community. Now they owe you a favor. Them owing you a favor is a gift to them because they have an excuse to do something for you. You know, that sense of indebtedness is... Uh, is part of what binds us, but we have to flip that. Being indebted is a good thing, not a bad thing. Being indebted means you have an excuse to invite someone yeah. to a party. You know, it's, yeah, it's, the it's, best. it's, a, it's reciprocal. It's reciprocal. Yes. It, it doesn't. That kind of indebtedness is not the kind of indebtedness that we know in the capitalist system. It's it's a reciprocal human thing. Um, one thing that actually just bugs me about all of this, though, Douglas, I'm sure you've considered it is that we can do all of this and we're a little closer to the ground. We're able to see, we're still in touch with those human values, the stuff that makes humanity a worthwhile endeavour for all of us. And we kind of know it. We've read a few of the studies, but we also feel it. You mm-hmm. know, we do it and it feels good and so we, we're still in touch to a certain extent. It's easier for us because we're not that wealthy, right? Billionaires well, have shown scientifically that billionaires, they have less empathy. You stick a billionaire in an MRI machine and show them a picture of a starving baby, the part of the brain that's supposed to light up, or at least it lights up for the rest of us, doesn't, right? They've, because they've, they're so removed. Right. They've, they've extricated themselves from the great unwashed, right? right, to such an extent that that muscle is not is not activated. Mm-hmm. But it, that leads me to my question is that, all right, we can do all of this, but if the billionaires are still taking off in their jets and churning through the carbon until, of course, the carbon runs out and they, you know, take off to Mars or their bunkers or whatever, and we're left with their mess. What's the point? It's really the billionaires who need to get back in touch with this this humanity, this humanness. So so what are we going to do about that? Yeah, what do I we do? Think, I think that the more that I borrow a drill from Bob, the less money the billionaire at the top of Home Depot has. Right. The more I speak with you rather than yelling at someone on Twitter, the less influence Elon Musk has. You know, the the less driving I do, the less I need a Tesla, even if it is solar or somehow supposedly better, which you know we can debate mm. whether or not it is just yet. The point is not to to uh, I think the point is to not follow their solutions, you know, is to the spend less time in their worlds. Facebook is not a good place. Twitter is not a good place. You know, the, the buying more stuff is not a good time. So the, the less we do in conformity with their plans, mm. the less power they have, the less money they have. So yeah, they'll still be rich. So, you know, Elon Musk might have $10 billion instead of $80 billion or whatever it is. It might go down and they'll still be rich, but not quite as rich and they'll have less and less 
influence. And the more we do, the more they're going to try to get ahead of it and say, all right, people want. That's the problem. Yeah, but they're going to have to do it. cling harder. They will cling harder, but they, or they'll try to end run us and say, oh, people want organic food, which is what in the States. So big corporations come in and they end up getting to label what organic is. So we have packages all over in grocery stores that say, you know, officially organic, but officially organic is not as good as what real local farmers want to do. In many cases, official organic qualification makes you can't have a small farm doing things in the very best way for the soil because it's not organic by the way the industry says so it's it's hard but that's also what we got to return to as be as local as we can be and i know there's arguments saying that local's not as efficient as getting food you know shipped from china or whatever and i don't quite buy that um there's there's tremendous labor intensive permaculture organic styles of agriculture that you could be doing that um yeah it's work but it's yeah it's 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 the it's, it's more the meaningful. Way yeah. Yeah. And I've got to say, I, I very much agree with the idea that care begets care. There's this contagious contagiousness that, that can operate. And what we have, we who are not part of that 0.01%, um, we have mass on our side. And I think that we can stick two fingers up to the way that these billionaires are wanting us to behave in their grand design of things. We don't have to do it. I'm wondering if one solution when you go and do these presentations, I don't know if you're still invited back after writing this book. Not as much, I can imagine. But, um, yes, the the trade-off of feeling good about themselves, sort of their their guilt being offlaid by having you there, I think it might not actually uh, pay out um, anymore with this book. But, I'm just wondering if not a, a solution isn't that you go and have this PowerPoint presentation on how no one is going to be there to clean your pool, infinity pool in your wonderful bunker uh, when end times come. Like, guys, follow the logic. You're going to have to get onto this new way or this old way of doing things. Would they listen? Do you feel that there's hope? I mean, you used to be a tech idealist, you know, back in these Timothy Leary days. It was, you know, it was a time of of incredible hope. Technology could save us and take us to wonderful places. Um, do you still feel that it could? Do you think these billionaires will get the memo? Um, I don't think they will. You know, I mean, because they've even some of these guys have gone down to South America and done ayahuasca with, you know, trained shaman and all. And they have a moment, an hour or two where they're like, mm. oh, I've got to change my ways and this and that. But by the time they've gotten back to San Jose on their private jet, they're like, oh, well, I think Facebook really was doing this all along because it's socializing. No, they'll somehow justify and retrofit whatever they're doing to um, to the insight. So I don't know that that they can be changed or even really frightened away from it because they have such faith in their rocket ships and technologies and things to get us off. You know, they're, they are pedal to the metal. The only way out is through. We're going to go with Monsanto to grow alfalfa on a rock in the middle of the desert rather than save the topsoil because we got to just keep churning this stuff. So, um, no, I think I, I don't. I don't think they can be reformed, but I think they can be exposed. You know, I would see it as our job to help. 
the next generation laugh at these people rather than try to emulate them and see them for the for the for the joke that they are and try to engender a society and a culture for our kids that doesn't lead them to the same kinds of fears and the same fantasy of retreat right and that means you know being nicer right <laughs> being kinder it's some mm. real basic stuff you know how do you how do you you know get the get the ipads out of the classroom and let them look into into each other's eyes again you know look a human being looking to another human's eyes recalibrates them that's all it takes the more you do zoom and stuff like this you can't really connect it it, it undermines peer to peer rapport between people. So you start doing all those things that make you yeah. safe. Stand with two feet on the ground, learn some Tai Chi, you know, uh, uh, sit in nature, look at other people, take 10 minutes a week where you just sit quietly with another person, you know, and it will recalibrate your nervous system. Experience awe. You know, that means look at nature, look at the, find a place where you can see stars and you'll experience this thing called awe. When you experience awe, it makes you more generous. It changes your nervous system. It improves your, your, um, your immune response gets more regulated just after a single experience of awe. So it's, it's really not that hard to recalibrate yourself and then spend time with other people who are also recalibrating. It doesn't mean a crazy hippie thing. You don't have to go to a, a, a free sex, you know, uh, organic farm and live in, you know, totally under the stars. Yeah. You can be in a city like me, you could be anywhere. Um, and just once, once you flip, um, and start making the more of us make their our daily choices, our consumer choices. And then if we are at work and you are in a meeting and you say you're at the Epson printer company and they're talking about the new model of printer and how many pages will we let the printer do before we brick the chip and not let them do anymore, right? So that we sell another printer, which they do. Um, mm -hmm. Do we really want to do that? Why can't you be the person at the meeting? Maybe you get fired. Maybe you won't. He says, is that really the best long-term strategy for this company? Is that really the best way to prevent kids from having to go into mines to get more cobalt for this thing? Is that really how we want to be? You know, do, how do you feel? How do you go to bed at night, you know, knowing that we make this kind of decision in this room today? You know, and I think, and, yeah, intervene, you know, intervene. That's it. And I think the, the next part to this, which I find so exciting and I get a real kick out of is kind is this idea of being slightly recalcitrant going I am seeing that this is a better way to do it I kind of find what these billionaires are doing laughable embarrassing pathetic I feel sorry for them so I'm going to stick it up the system I'm going to do it my way so it's not just about um, showing them up it's also about showing a better way showing each other a better way it's like Seth Godin has said on this podcast before people like us do things like this and that's that's the contagious fun entry point I think to all of this can I ask as a final question do you find this way of living fun um sometimes it's hard I mean because I'm not just I find living this way fun. I find public advocacy of this way of living hard, right? Because okay. we're living in a world that is highly committed, that majority, 80, 90% of the money on this planet is committed to something else, right? That's what it, it was. It was based. It's, it's very manufacture was based in another view of reality. 
So it's it's mm. hard, right? And another thing that's hard is is and I'm learning to to work with it and through it is that a lot of the people who agree with what we're saying now are on a very different side of the political spectrum. You know, you'll hear a lot of the same things that we're saying come out of the mouths of Bannon and the a woman who the 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 quasi fascist who took over from the, the, the Italian parliament. And it's because they also recognize that neoliberalism has created these huge systems that are disempowering to individuals, disempowering to the farmer, to the rancher, to the to the rural person. The uh, the the sense of human dignity is being undermined by these giant um, techno solutionist and and technocratic systems. But that means we have something in common. So even if but it's challenging because yes. they come from because the way that we divide the world, we kind of don't get it when that division over there, that sort of polarity doesn't uh, coexist with this polarity over here. They're not concentric kind of circles. It, it's so confusing. And I, I think that's a really great point that you bring up. But then it's also a really great invitation, isn't it? Is to find they, a way to get these are, really important messages across. Right. They are our allies. They really are. They've just gone to the most, what to them is the most obvious solution set, right? Which is just not probably, I mean, there's, there is stuff in common in terms of respect for nature and working with natural systems, the dignity of the human being, you know, it's just, they're more on the individual human being and we're more kind of on the co- human, collective. the being human is a collective. There's no such thing as an individual. I mean, go for it, you know, go for individual. It's really not, it's really not fun. Yeah. Well, I think that's a wonderful note to finish on. I get your message. Um, and I applaud you as as a tech dude to come out and speak out on all of this. I love it. And I encourage everybody to listen to your podcast, Team Human, and, of course, to read your series of books on all of this, on all of it, all, all of the of things. It. All right. Speak soon. Be good. Ciao. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. So top line, that was a conversation about billionaire preppers, which is fascinating and weird and, and all the rest. But Really, it was a conversation about a lot more with the prepper madness that is actually happening right now and very much across the board in that world as a representation of the logical, inevitable and only endpoint to the insane anti-human trajectory that we know we're all on together. There are so many weird ironies in everything that Douglas brings up. Douglas says that it stems from a fear of the feminine and that much of what he witnesses is rape fantasy writ large and surreal and wrong. It's about fear of uncertainty and and dark places. And yet what these guys are trying to create with all their control is way more uncertain. It's a way more uncertain world or existence. They are mucking with the unfathomably complex balance of nature. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? I heard someone talking about the problems of scientists removing junk DNA in our bodies in an effort to make humans better or something. But what if the junk DNA, and this was a question one of the scientists asked, is what holds us together or something important like that? Douglas also sees these people as as losers, as sad sort of losers in all their efforts to win and suggests they know they're losers, which is another irony or paradox. 
But I have to say the whole thing makes me worried and it makes me sad. But funnily enough, it also makes me feel relieved somehow. There's probably only a few ways that all of this can can end. Either we've lost these 0.01 percenters to their grift. They are so embedded in their need to justify their separation and the creation of all those inequalities that they've They've got to keep kind of going and going. They can't stop now. Or their shame is what compels them to do much the same. They can see their way of doing things is destroying the world and they don't want to face this. So, hey, let's just blow this popsicle stand and head off to Mars. This is worrying. Like how far will they go with that mindset with so much grift and shame at the heart of things? Douglas seems to think they'll go the whole way. Now, I'm left sad as well, of course, because it means that a whole chunk of humans have left the team. It reminds me of the bully who pushes themselves further and further away, but I've always felt that the bullies really did want to just hang with the dorky, unfancy types like me. Um, But maybe I'm reading too much into it, I don't know. But then there's also the relief um, to the whole thing. We can't beat them. We don't want to join them, but we can just get on with doing things better. As Seth Godin says, you know, people like us do things like this and we're over here doing them, making them look kind of cool. And um, for me, I've always said that the way forward uh, is to make the new way sexier than status quo. Anyway, the next episode is a bonus episode with Douglas. Um, I get him to share some intimate stuff, the kind of thing you might like to ask this kind of guy, this kind of big mind at a dinner party or if you were to sit next to them on a plane sometime. He comes up with some doozies, book recommendations, insights into his fear and his hope. Now you can access this extra episode. It's a new thing I'll be doing each week. You can do so via Substack if you're um, a member of the paid community or on Apple and you'll see something pop up um, as an option if you are a subscriber to my podcast, Wild. And just a reminder that You know, you can post comments or questions or engage in further stuff around any of the conversations I have here on Wild with Sarah Wilson over at Substack. That's where I'm doing all of my interactions and that's sarahwilson.substack.com and I will put that link in the show notes along with everything else. That episode was a hell of a lot. Go and have a lie down and I will see you for more Wild Times pretty soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.